Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads, just like you, to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Make Here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, everybody. I am Meg Forer. I'm an occupational therapist, and I am absolutely passionate about the mum and baby journey in the early days. I think it's a very precious time of life, but I know that it's absolutely fraught with anxiety, concerns, and lots of hiccups along the way. And so each week on my podcast, we actually chat to real moms, moms who are at the rock face, going through situations with their little ones. And we talk about what they're going through, the highs and the lows, and how we can bring science to interpret those um, situations. And for most weeks, we end up chatting to Cassidy, and we've actually tracked her and her little baby, Max, now for many weeks. Um, He is over four months old now, nearly. Actually, how old is he, Cass? Oh, well, he's 16 weeks. He was the 27th. So he's got a few few days till he's four months, but he's 16 weeks today or two days ago. Incredible. So like really nearly four months old. Mm. And it's been an incredible journey uh, fraught with some real concerns around his health initially. And mm. thinking back, I mean, he had situations where he had thrush and we've had mm. sleep issues. He went through that stage that all babies go through where they don't love to feed because they're so distractible. And now we're moving on towards the four-month period where we're going to start to think about solids and new developments. And so, Cass, we really, really welcome you back. Thank you for joining us again. Oh, thank you. Yeah, he had his 16-week vaccinations this week, and I have to say, and then at the end, they said he didn't need his next ones for a year until he was a year old. And it was the best news because those vaccinations are so traumatic. So hard. Yeah. And of course, vaccinations for those listening are different worldwide. So Cassidy lives in the UK, which means that yeah, she'll have her four-month vaccines or 16-week vaccines and then nothing to a year. And of course, if you live in South Africa, you'll be having lots more in between those. Um, it just depends on where you're based. But Cass, yeah, super for Max that he doesn't have another vaccine for a while. Well, I think more so super for me. I, I, <laughs> he, <laughs> he forgets very quickly. I start crying even as I'm walking into the doctors, let alone. Aww. So yeah, I'm very glad. Yeah, vaccines haven't been a fun part. And we dealt with that in one of our early episodes, mm. the whole kind of controversy around those who choose not to vaccinate and those who do. And then, of course, the emotional side that, that mums go through. So looking back at the week that's passed, Cass, what has mm. been the big positives and or the highs and lows for you this week? So for me, one of the biggest things is his feeding is back to normal. He's feeding really well. He's even at sometimes doing two boobs. Um, it's very relaxed. It's very calm, you know, compared to what we were having where it was only ever one boob. And even then it, that could be a bit of a struggle. And of course, that was causing concerns around his weight, which we discussed last week. So we have the doctor's appointment to check in with his weight next week. But his feeding almost from sort of the day after we recorded 
recorded last week has really improved. So that's been amazing for me because it is a real, even though you tell yourself, you know, it's fine. He looks happy. He's healthy. Everything else about him, he's still going, you know, he's still pooing. He's got lots of wet nappies. All the things you tell yourself, it's still just horrible when they are not feeding as they were or it's a battle, especially breastfeeding, I think, because you don't know how much they're taking and things like that. But even even with bottles, it's just horrible because if they're not going to take it, there's nothing you feel you can do. And so that's been yeah. a real highlight of my week. Yeah. But he's also rolled from his back. Well, he's very easily rolling from his back and to his side. He sort of lifts his legs up and rolls over, but he's very nearly going all the way to his tummy as well. So in fact, he just, yeah. if he holds your finger, he'll go to your tummy, over to his tummy. You don't really need to pull him. He just needs to hold you. So that's really, Incredible. it is exciting, but it also means yeah. he's on the move. <laughs> He is. He absolutely is. And, you know, I mean, when mums think about rolling, rolling is such an important milestone. And the reason is that it is a very important foundation for crawling later on. And so right when Max was very little, we had an episode where we spoke about tummy time and the importance Mm. of actually developing those back muscles. And then later on, I actually heard the episode just the other day where we talked about how he was doing a lot of kicking of his little kickboard at the end of his play mat. And that, of course, was working his tummy muscles. And with the working of those tummy muscles and those back muscles then give you the foundation to develop rotation. And that's what he's doing now, that kind of turning over. So it's really amazing that he's starting to roll. And it's a spot on age where they would start rolling. And yeah, so no leaving him on the middle of the bed anymore. No, I know. We've just moved back to our uh, home and when we left he was you know still very well I mean it was over a month ago so he was in a very different stage developmentally and we got back and we were uh, my husband put him on his changing mat which is on a chest it's on a changing station on a chest of drawers and my husband said well there's no turning our back anymore for this <laughs> because when Definitely. he was super newborn you know you could just sort of quickly put something in the nappy bin or something like that but now you cannot take your eyes off him at all he is on the move yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, the fact that he's rolling now is brilliant because he's crossing the midline and that means that he's going to crawl later on and that's really, really super news for for you guys. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. It's it's interesting. It's quite it's actually a very variable milestone and that's why it creates some anxiety for mums because some babies roll earlier than others and some actually roll really late, closer to six months. And some actually don't segmentally roll. In other words, they don't segment their shoulders and their hips. They actually roll like a log. Um, and so little ones do it all differently, but it is a very important milestone. So so well done, Max. Is there so, because he's not doing it from his tummy. He's only doing it from his back at the moment, which he kind of uses his legs to, to help him. He lifts them up and turns them to the side. Yeah, so babies, babies do crawl, some babies crawl tummy to back first, some crawl back to tummy first. But and running from their back to their tummy is somewhat more common to do first. So that, that would be fairly typical. Um, and some babies only do it one way for a very long period of time. And it kind of depends on which muscles they've started to develop more of their back or their tummy muscles. Okay. Yeah. So he's he's just doing the back at the moment. But another sort of thing that I was going to mention 
he's now got a nanny, which has been quite hard. But the great thing is, and we'll talk about the, the hard side of it, but the great thing is, of course, for that period of time that he's with the nanny, she is solely dedicated to him. And he therefore is getting absolutely dedicated time with things like tummy time and all of the different exercises and developmental things as well, which I try to build in as much as possible in the day. But, you know, sometimes it's not so easy when you've got a lot going on. Yeah, no, and it, and there's a lot to be said for a good nanny. And I think, you know, it brings up a whole conversation around, and it happens very often in about four months when mums either need to return to work or in some countries their maternity leave is up. I know that in the UK it isn't, but certainly in South Africa, that would be a typical time when maternity leave would end. And then we've got to choose nannies. And the choosing of nannies is quite an interesting thing. You know, I always say, first of all, they need to be absolutely passionate about the age group. So if you've got a nanny for a four-month-old, she needs to love babies. And likewise, if you are only doing it as a toddler, then they've got to really be passionate about toddlers. They also need to have some training. And I think that's really important and specifically first aid training. So those are the two things that I would really look at is, is how passionate are they about the age group? And then secondly, do they have first aid training? And then I often get asked, is it preferable to have my baby with a day mum with a whole lot of babies or in a creche or with a nanny? And I would always go for a nanny. And the reason for that is that that primary maternal and then primary, I suppose, caregiver relationship is very, very important. And so you're more likely to get one-on-one or really focused attention that looks at your baby's signals if they're with a nanny. So that is my preference, definitely. Yeah. And I think for us as well, knowing at, because he's so young, knowing that there's just somebody who's completely dedicated to all of his needs and everything that he wants made it a lot easier. But it's still, I have to say, the days leading up to the first day with the nanny, as much as I knew she was wonderful, mm-hmm. I found that really, really hard. I sort of was going to bed at night, the night before, especially just thinking I am dreading tomorrow because it was the first time I was leaving him with somebody that wasn't either his daddy or his granny or, you know, his grandpa or something, Mm -hmm. you know, immediate family. And it was really, really tough. And I was actually on my way driving to a meeting just after I'd left him. And there was a car, we call him Maxi Moo. And there was a car and f- removals truck in front of us that had Maxi Mover written on the back. And I just burst out oh. crying. Oh, that's <laughs> but it is really tough. This episode is brought to us by ParentSense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helped you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. So, you know, a couple of things that I often say to moms, because that's very common, that you feel some, some guilt, some grief, mm. some concern, some terror, and and what should you do about it? So first of all, step number one is to choose the right person, which um, I know you've gone through the process and I've just mentioned what I would be going through. Mm. But the second thing is to actually prepare, you know, kind of lay the groundwork for her. So it's things like knowing what his routine looks like. And that's where the app can really come in really, really handy because you can write down approximately what times you know that he's going to wake and feed throughout the day or or sleep and feed throughout the day. And that's very useful for her. 
And what we are building into the app very soon is multi-user functionality so that so she would actually be able to log mm. his sleeps and his feeds for you. So those would be a number one in terms of routine, very important. And the other thing that's quite handy to do is to actually record his signals for you, for her. So to say to her, you know, when he does this, it usually means that. Because it's taken you four months to learn Max's signals and you now know them. And mm. that also helps her to know, okay, so this means that he's in the active alert stage and is becoming overstimulated, or this means that he's in the calm alert stage and wants to be stimulated, or this means that he wants to actually go to sleep, or this means that he's hungry. So kind of creating almost four categories of signals. So tired, hungry, calm alert, which means I want to be stimulated, and active alert, which means I'm overstimulated. And they're giving her a signal for each of them and then what she must do. So if he's in the active alert stage and he looks like he's overstimulated, then take him for a walk in the garden or wonder mm. if it's time for sleep, you know? So just giving her, you know, kind of the, the things that the checklist you'd be going through with Max's signals so that she can short circuit that learning. Yeah, no, definitely. And we've been doing the, I have to say, I'm very excited about when the multi-user comes in because, you know, even when I wasn't there, I was wondering, so if, I wonder if he's had a sleep or when I was on my way mm -hmm. home, I was thinking, is, I wonder what this, what I'm walking into. And mm -hmm. you sort of, there's quite a lot of catching up to do <laughs> when yeah. you, either when she takes over or when you take over again. And so yeah. it'd be really great when it's, when it's on the multi-user all on the app, just there for you to see. Yeah, no, definitely. We, we're definitely going to be working that in now. Awesome. So what else went on for you this week, Cass? So the, um, well, really the main thing was around, oh, we've started sleep coaching. Okay. which has, we've sort of been doing it a little bit, but we decided because of this four month regression that he had been having, we felt it really was time that he, we, we started upping our, upping the ante, I guess. So yeah. we've been doing, when he goes to bed, we've been making sure that he is being put down really awake. So if he starts yes. to get drowsy on the bottle, we've stopped feeding, we've actually put him down to wake himself up fully. And then we started feeding again. If he wants it, great. If he doesn't, he gets put down. And he has actually now in the evenings, he puts himself to sleep. It Not took, I think the first day took about an hour um, of going you know, in and out and re reassuring him and letting him know we were both there and giving him a cuddle and then putting our hand mm -hmm. on him and all of the the things, giving him a little kiss mm -hmm. and whispering in his ear or whatever, whatever worked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then now we can just put him down. He might coo a little bit before he goes, but eventually he'll put himself to sleep and we have no problem. That is in the evening and I think a huge part of that is the full routine you know the bath yeah. this, and we've implemented that from very early on so he really knows okay this is what's supposed to happen now where I we are struggling and we're looking to sort of up the ante in terms of focusing more on it next week and um, my husband's going to work from home so that he can help support um, but is in the daytime for his daytime sleeps he's not going down as easily. In fact, he, he's going down. It's harder to get him down now than it was a couple of weeks ago. And so I just wondered if you had any tips for the daytime piece where there isn't that full routine just before he's used to with you know his bath and bed and everything. Yeah. So it's great that you've started with the evening routine because he now knows what it means when you put him down. So even though you've had that whole lead up, the last little bit, he's just learned how to do that. And 
just to to talk about that before we go on to the day piece, mm. you know, I think it is worth starting with the evening for exactly the reason that you've said that it, that you've got a whole build up. The second thing is, you know, a lot of moms are kind of thinking, you know, can I do this at four months? Is this controlled crying? Is this controversial? You know, is this sleep training and will it be damaging for my baby? And I think what's very important to note is a couple of things that you said. Number one is that you have taken care of his basic needs. And so you know that you've across all, across everything, feeding, sleep, routine, day routine, plus bedtime routine, you've done all of that. So it's very important when you talk about sleep coaching, that you know that you've ticked every box. And in my sleep course, which is available on the app, in there, we actually go through nine steps before we get to sleep coaching. And you need to tick all those boxes. And I know, Cass, because you and I have spoken every week that you've been doing that. So that's step number one. Step number two is that you have to put them down drowsy but awake and then walk out. And, you know, it's that signaling that you're going down now and I'm walking out that is actually quite important because it sets them up for the expectations of, okay, so I'm going to be able to do it on my own. And you will find probably in the next week that when you do that, he won't then squawk. He, he actually will just coo and then go off to sleep. So that's the second step. And then the third step, which is part of this four-month-old sleep coaching that you're talking about, is being very much readily available to do a lot of soothing. So it's not abandoning him to do it himself. It's supporting him. And he will be doing some crying because, you know, he's learning a new skill. But you're there with him. And as you said, you're patting and, and, and so on. So I think that that's important. And in the picking up, sometimes when if the crying gets to a point where you can mm. see he's distressed, it's the picking up and resettling. So that's spot on. So transferring it across to the day sleeps, once he's getting the evenings right, I would do exactly the same thing. Importantly, at four months, I would watch the awake times quite carefully. He, mm. Is he about on about an hour and a half from being awake to going to sleep? He, he is on an hour and a half, yes. Some, sometimes he just won't go down after an hour and a half, but I'm trying to stick with it. This morning, it took me two hours to get him down after I'd started trying, which was at an hour and 15 minutes. Okay. And so that and was, was that for his challenged. first sleep or second sleep? That was for his first sleep. Okay, that's interesting because usually the first sleep is the one that's the easiest to work with. So um, the first sleep is usually the one where they will drop off at, at, at four months. It would be at an hour and a half. So try and stick to the awake times and then do exactly what you're doing for the evenings, you know, where you kind of put him down, take him to the room 15 minutes early, which is exactly what you did, hour and 15, close the blinds, make sure the room's really dark. And, and some people talk about differentiating day and night and having them sleep in light rooms during the day. I don't agree with that. I think they need all the help they can get so reenacting that kind of sleep space is important. So you could put him in his little sleeping bag if he's in a sleeping bag already. You can use the weighted little blanket if you're using a weighted blanket. You can use white noise and do everything as you would do it in the evening, except instead of the hour setup and bed routine, you just do 15 minutes. Okay. And so we mentioned about the sleeping bag. He is in slightly warmer clothes in the daytime because he's not wearing a sleeping bag all through the day. So my concern around putting a sleeping bag, him in a sleeping bag is that he might get a bit too warm. Is it okay if he doesn't have that sleeping bag or is that such a, is that quite a key slow, sleep association? No, it's, it's not such a key sleep association. It's definitely one of the ones that is lighter. I personally did do it for all my kids. I did it for every single sleep so that they really knew that, that it was always, you know, kind of happening the same way, but it's not essential because they're not going to get cold in the day like they do potentially in the middle of the night. So yeah, that, that's an optional. I would say the white noise is not an optional. So definitely use the white noise exactly as you would in the evening. Yeah, we've been using that. But in the daytime, what he, we have been using, and I don't know whether 
this is the right thing is in the day he's got a cop mobile that is just above his cop, which has a little tune and things go around and it only lasts about one minute and then it's just above him. But I didn't know initially that worked really well, but now it doesn't seem to be making a difference. Is that causing too much stimulation? Yeah, I I would remove that. I'm not a big fan of cop mobiles over the cops. I think that they're better over the changing mat. Uh, and particularly, you know, that feeding hiccup that he went through, I think a lot of that had to do with distractibility and, you know, that they start mm. to stimulate themselves. And I think it's the same for a cop mobile. I think, it, you know, I'd rather have no toys, no playthings, no stimulation in the cut space if possible. Okay. And then should I be doing a little routine like with a story every time or just try and keep it very short, very quick, sort of take them up? turn the down, you know, close the curtains yeah. and then got to give him a bit of a cuddle and a kiss and put him down? Or is that sort of whole drawing it out, giving a story and that sort of thing? Is that advisable? No. So you don't have to do that. And particularly not because you haven't got the whole hour bedtime routine. So you really mm. don't want them to be any more stimulated or any, you know, have anything going down. So for day sleeps, it's very much, you know, just a business affair. You take them to the room, okay. make the room dark, give them the feed if, if a feed time is due and then, you know, kind of pop them down in their sleeping bag or not with the white noise and then walk out and then come back and pop your hand back on him if he needs you to settle him and then just sit with him until he falls asleep. Okay. And actually that's an interesting thing you mentioned with the feeding because sometimes he needs a feed before, sometimes he doesn't. Mm. And I just, I hear the word consistency is key. Mm. <laughs> um, no, no for these these routines and that obviously means sometimes he's getting a feed sometimes he's not would that be confusing for him and should we try and avoid that kind of mix up or that's not too much of a problem it's not too much of a problem as long as he's doing the last little bit himself so if if he say for instance does sometimes have a feed immediately before just make sure it's not a feed that's directly associated so it's more of a feed he wakes up eyes wide open you know looks around and he goes down awake that's that's what's important because you won't always get that right. Possibly feed him outside of the dark room to, so that it's not associated Correct. with that day put down. Okay, cool. Yeah. If he's taking, because what we're having at the moment, he's taking quite a while to go down to the point where sometimes he doesn't need a feed before, <laughs> but he's taking a, quite a while to go down. So it might be an hour and the feed's coming up. So then I think, okay, he's actually going to be too hungry to go down now. But I'm worried about stopping the whole routine mid mm situation what how, how's best to approach that so okay that's a really good question and a question that's very common so what is his um space between feeds that you're doing now is it about three to three and a half yeah it's about three and a half hours sometimes three hours 45 okay so my suggestion is that if it is less than three hours then the sleep takes precedent but mm. if it's more than three hours so let's say it's three hours 15 and the sleep is due then i would actually give a feed Mm-hmm. So you you kind of use that three hour space, which is about half an hour before he should be needing his feed as the cusp time. So anything before three hours since the last feed, if it's time for a sleep, then a sleep is is a priority. And anything after three hours, like as I said, three hours fifteen, I would actually do a feed then. Okay. Okay. Perfect. The final thing was because, for example, last night, uh, this morning, it did take two hours. Uh, He had his vaccinations yesterday. So I think that was playing a bit of a part. It was a bit of an anomaly. But I didn't know, I got to the point where he was so tired. And I thought the priority now is actually that you get sleep, not that we continue with this process. But I didn't know. And it sounds an awful 
thing to say. I think it's a, you know, I've heard people say, oh, but you don't want to let them win because <laughs> then they think no. if I keep crying, yeah. I'll be eventually mum will pick me up and cuddle me to sleep or put me in the pram and we'll go for a walk or whatever it might be. Yeah. What's that balance of teaching them? You've got to do this by yourself, yeah. but not letting them sort of just yeah. get to the point of no return. If you enjoy my podcast, I would like to share one of my favorite podcasts with you, The Honest Hour. Christina Masaryk is mom to two boys and a third little boy on the way. She's an American expat living in Cape Town, South Africa since 2008 and decided to start sharing her experiences in parenting since 2017. Having grown up in a dysfunctional family environment in her own childhood, which led to her adoption at the age of 10, Christina is passionate about finding purpose and presence in parenting, as well as exploring our own opportunity for healing and personal growth as we navigate the world of parenting our own children. Christina believes in ending the trauma cycle and that in parenting our own children, we can learn how to reparent ourselves. So pop on over to Christina's podcast, The Honest Hour. So remember, he's still very little. So I would not let it go more than 45 minutes, you know, of, of you okay. working to get him to sleep. And then I, what I would do is I would go sleep as king and pop him in the pram or in a carrier. And then he okay. will fall asleep and then just go back to the right principle the next time. You're not going to wreck it completely just on a one-source. And sometimes something's happened to that last awake time that you just couldn't predict for. You know, that he's become overstimulated or his nappy was just uncomfortable that day or he's just... Somehow, you know, we have off days. Baby ha babies have off days. And so, mm. yeah, be flexible at this age. Um, so then in that case, when he's been going for 45 minutes, I would just pop him in a carrier or a sling and pop him, you know, get him to sleep that way. Okay. Yeah. Because as soon as I was picking him up earlier, he was grinning away and really happy, which made me think, mm. you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but he just wasn't wanting to be put down. And I think vaccinations mm. played a part in that. Would have played a part for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And Kath, tell me, I've been very interested to, I've been thinking about products and I've actually been asked about products and layers lists and what are absolute essentials for babies. And I thought this would be quite a nice opportunity for you to mention some of the things that you've used over the last four months that you think that those first four months of life really are important for a mum to get. And then I'll just give a little bit of input on, on what it is that you've bought and, and the principles there. Yeah. So one of the things that I actually really battled with whether I would get one or not was a sleepy head. I know that mm. they are not actually advised. I think the certainly midwives don't necessarily love sleepy heads in the similar way to cot bumpers, but we ended up getting one in the end. It's been a godsend. We watched him very carefully with it until he was older. You know, he didn't sleep at night with it. it when he was very young, it was only in the day where we were there and present and seeing, could see him. But it's such a useful piece just to be able to put him down. You know, I know they grow out of Moses baskets quite quickly. So this has been something he's, he's still able to go down in it and it just gives him that little bit of comfort and it's so easily importable it's been a godsend yeah. for us. So let's talk about that because it is an extremely controversial item of, of kit um, for new babies. And for the context for people who don't know sleepyheads, they're otherwise known as a docker tot, or there are other versions of it like the Nurture One cushion. And basically it's a sleep insert that creates somewhat of a little barrier or cocoon for babies to sleep in. And, you know, I think the principle is that they really do help. There's absolutely no question. And 
you know, for me, the the Back to Sleep campaign, along with the SIDS campaign of having absolutely clinical sleep space, is of course the advised, and that's what the American Association of Pediatrics advises, and you know, and that's why your clinic sisters or your health visitors will tell you absolutely no items inside the cot with your baby because of the risk of suffocation. But having said that, it's so, such a clinical space for babies to sleep flat on their back in a, in a, on a mattress with absolutely nothing around them. And so from a sensory perspective, I can understand why they work and why parents use them. And I certainly used a Nurture One cushion with my baby. So I do, I do use them. I do think that you do have to be um, alert and aware. The SIDS risk doesn't disappear at four months. It's much closer to mm. a year. So there is always that risk. And it's just being very conscious about that. And I think the main thing, and this is, you know, th- this is something for you to bear in mind because this is what you're about to hit now, is that once they start rolling, the risk is when it really increases. Before that, babies pretty much lie in the position you put them down on. They're not moving all over the place. And so when you put your baby on your back in a, in a sleepy head, they'll stay there. The problem is, and especially in the context of Max now starting to roll, is that it won't be long before he rolls off over the side of it and then mm. can put it up to his face. And that's where your risk comes. So the principle generally is that as soon as they're rolling and moving around, you need to move them off that. And in theory, they should then be able to move themselves in into a position where they'll be comfortable to sleep. So I think it's fine. And I, and I certainly agree with you that it's, it is something that I do recommend. But having said that, I like parents to go in eyes wide open as they make these decisions because it mm. does pose a little bit of a SIDS risk. And then if I were you just starting to watch him now as he starts to roll and decide when it is that you're going to need to get rid of it, that. And that, of course, brings the second problem in the equation. And that is that when you move out of it, then you know he won't sleep as well for a couple of nights because he's not he's used to sleeping on it. Yeah, I actually actually put it in the cupboard this morning <laughs> and said, yeah. okay, we're just going to try and get rid of this now because it, it for exactly that reason. And and also I just think it was useful for Max because he didn't like being swaddled, but it provided mm. that extra sort of bit of comfort. But, yeah, but mm. we would be weaning off swaddling around now if anyway. he. Yeah, so I sort of feel that now's the time mm-hmm. um, yeah. for him to, to be a big boy and sleep without his sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, but I agree with you. It's a very useful item. I, I really do like that that, con- that containment that it creates. Mm. And then we've got time for one more. Yeah, so, okay, if we're going, staying on the theme of sleep, I've got loads, but if we're staying on the theme of sleep as part of the bedtime routine, he actually has a rotating star nightlight and we put him on his changing mat to get him changed just before his bath with that on. And from day one, he has absolutely loved that. And it's made him so calm. Um, There's different colored lights. So we always have the red because I read somewhere that the blue light isn't great if you're wanting them to go to sleep. So we always have the red light on. And he also has that, we went through a period which we spoke about on the podcast where he wasn't very, he would start screaming at bedtime when daddy was feeding him. And actually we put the lights on for feeding and he just fed really well because he just sort of was watching these and he just finds it so calming mesmerized yeah and we just I the first time we put it on I loved watching his reaction to them he just was a face of absolute wonder and so it's been a really useful tool when we just need to calm him down you know we just turn all the lights out and he just watches his stars or and but also Mm -hmm. he just absolutely loves it loves it and so it's been a really key part of bedtime routine yeah, that's lovely. And I think you're right. Keeping it on a red light is good. And then also for other moms, this thing, baby personalities will play a part. So some of them will actually become more stimulated by that and it won't work well for bedtime. In Max's case, who is a settled baby and maybe a bit of a social butterfly, 
it works very well for him. So that's excellent. Yeah. No, so those are, those are two for now. <laughs> mm, brilliant. Well, I think we're going to try and finish off every podcast with, with your products because I know that these are fabulous for other moms to hear about. But Cass, thank you so much. Really, really um, super to hear his news this week. And I'm so happy that your feeding has, has settled. And I'm sure that next thank week's you. weight gain is going to be good. So yes, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. Thank you so much, Meg. Thanks, Cass. Okay. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.